0: Hello, and welcome to the Professional Outsider Podcast. I'm Megan Herndon. On this show, we discuss leadership strategies, the handoff of leadership to the next generation, and a whole lot more. All right, Randy, good to see you today. Excited to be recording a podcast on this sunny day in Seattle. So today we're going to be talking about failure in the workplace and when it can be good and when it can be bad and all of that. So to start us off today, can you share a few stories or examples of failure you or someone else has overcome and what you can learn from it?
1: Well, I'd start off by saying today is a bit of a failure on yours and my part because it's a sunny day in Seattle and we're in this dark studio. <laughs> that is true. A podcast. That is true. Out in the park at the beach or something. <laughs> so uh, we're starting with a failure. But in any case, I know you're wanting to be a little more serious than that. So I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about a business failure that I had. And uh, it was a partnership um, that I was involved in in the last decade, and uh, it ended up being a disaster. And the reason it was a disaster has actually become so firmly implanted in my mind that I focus my clients very heavily on the issue of getting alignment and clarity as to where the business is going, and also alignment and clarity around the values that you're going to live by as you take the business forward. We didn't have that. We made some money, and uh, it was, a I thought, a pretty good business, had great potential, but there was significant misalignment amongst the partners. Uh, that were in the business and there was a significant misalignment around the values, how we were going to behave, how we were going to engage with each other. There was real misalignment about what we wanted the business to become. And so, you know, when we first formed the partnership, it was just kind of over a couple glasses of wine. And some people that knew each other and liked each other uh, coming together to do something unique and different that combined all of our best experiences and attributes. But we didn't get clear on key elements of the business, the direction, the way it was going to be run, and so forth. And uh, those, together with our misalignment on what was appropriate behavior, caused the business to disintegrate. We all lost some money and uh, learned a big lesson, and uh, that was that. So, you know, I don't, I, I don't really regret it. Because it made me better at what I do now, mm-hmm. but uh, I do regret that we ended up losing some friendships over it.
0: Mm-hmm. It sounds like you, looking back on it at this point, can see how you know you made a mistake, but you were able to come back from it and to really learn from it and move forward. When you fail, whether you're you know in a workplace, in a relationship, wherever you are, how can you ensure that you learn from it? And what are some ways you can analyze your past errors and make sure that they don't happen again?
1: Well, I think, I think you have to be able to look in the mirror and there's an old saying coined by my pal, David, and that is that blame doesn't show up in the mirror and it should
0: Mm -hmm. many
1: times, you know, I could blame my partners for behavior that I thought lacked integrity. I could blame uh, my partners for not seeing the same view of the world that I was seeing, but I have to step up and say, I made a mistake because I should not have engaged I should have walked away from the partnership the opportunity because there were some things going in that that, that I saw were going to be difficult and you know I would call them uh, maybe not barriers mm-hmm. but hurdles that needed to be covered. And then there started to being, started being hints that things weren't working well. There started being hints around misbehavior of people in the business, and I ignored them. Because I liked and trusted the people. So, you know, I had multiple points along the way that I should have disengaged, and I didn't
0: mm-hmm. until
1: it became uh, uh, really pretty much a blowout.
0: I really like you said blame doesn't show up in the mirror. Can you unpack that for me a little bit more? Well,
1: I think what we tend to do when things don't go well is first of all, we look to blame others.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We look to hold others accountable. And we, you know, in a in failure of a business, it's a big deal. There's money involved. You know, there's, uh, you know, uh, public humiliation to a degree, not so public in this case, but with family and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, last week you were very excited about this new business opportunity. Last year, you know, you were making making some money. It was looking good. You were building a reputation with this other entity mm-hmm. that was different than what you'd been doing before, still carrying on what was going on before, but folding the two together. And uh, then you've got to say, well, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Greatest thing in the world, eh, it didn't work out. It's kind of like you prepare this wonderful meal. You're so excited about it and you've got friends coming over and you serve the meal and it's not right. Mm-hmm. And the, the wine doesn't go well with it. Or the wine's just flat, not good wine. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you've got high expectations, high hopes. You put a lot of energy into something right. to make it work, and, uh, and it doesn't work. Well, you know, we all have that in our lives all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the signs of maturity is learning how to handle disappointment without having a tantrum. Mm-hmm. And how to handle disappointment without blaming others. How to look in the mirror and be able to say, okay, here's what I own about that. I saw... I. I am not a guy that's built for partnership. Mm -hmm. I have partners that I work with on a regular basis that I like and trust. But in terms of a formal business structure, partner, multiple equity partners is difficult. Mm -hmm. And you've really got to have clarity of alignment. You've got to have the same values, not competing values. You have to have the same vision for the future. And um, it just doesn't work otherwise. So, you know, what we get into with clients is many times the company is owned by somebody who's not even in the room, you know, whether it's shareholders, whether it's a, a, uh, an investment firm or, um, or some outward entity that owns big chunks of it, the people in the room are responsible for running it and managing it. You still have to have the people in the room aligned as to where the business is going, clear about how we're going to behave in the process of doing it. And that has to fit with the objectives of the shareholders. Mm-hmm. And honestly, for, for the best engagement and ownership, participation, and uh, accountability from employees, it has to connect with what employees want out of life also. So there's a lot of moving parts that have to be aligned and moving in the same direction. And that's what good leadership does
0: hmm So continuing talking about all of those different moving parts, when you're a leader on the team or a member of the team, how can you work with your team members to figure out how not to fail?
1: Um, this is going to sound really cynical. Mm-hmm. And I guess for a guy that's been around a long time and had some big wins and some failures also, I... I don't think you can prevent failure. Mm-hmm. And I think if you, if you build your direction around preventing failure, you live in a status quo world. You don't try new things. You can't be innovative. And that's really death for a company in this point in time. You know, the world's moving fast. Mm-hmm. We're in what uh, Tom Friedman calls the age of acceleration. You know, computing power is doubling every 18 months, I think it is now. Uh, the innovators are the winners. The people that are locked in the past become the, bug, bug, the buggy whip makers <laughs> when uh, buggies are replaced by automobiles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, they become the uh, uh, film developers when we go digital. So we've got to be anticipating and taking steps into the unknown. And you can't have a leadership team be successful without having a fairly high degree comfort with ambiguity because we don't mm-hmm. have all the answers. You gather data, you know, we've got more data than we could possibly deal with in this day and age, sorting the data and finding what's meaningful, making decisions based on what's meaningful, uh, and then taking risk associated with that is what highly successful business people do. Mm
0: -hmm. And if you're
1: unable to do that, the chances of you falling behind are pretty high.
0: And I'm sure... Talking about, you know, there's the film developers and those who are going digital. I'm sure that first guy who said, we're going to get rid of the darkroom and we're going to do this all the com- all on the computer, his team probably thought he was a little bit crazy. Um, how do you, you know, take that risk, but still make sure that your business can sustain itself?
1: I think it depends on the business. Mm-hmm. It depends on the structure of the business. And it's pretty common for a business to have, you know, something that works well mm-hmm. and has worked well. That can provide a stable base for experimentation, and I think experimentation still needs to be somewhat within the base skill set, and the uh, and what the company does really well. But it's got to stretch beyond.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I think the other thing that has happened is you know we used to think of competitors as the enemy, mm-hmm. and we have to beat the competitor. Well, we see more and more that companies are reaching out and creating unique partnerships with other organizations that have previously been competitors, so that they can more effectively compete. Mm-hmm. And we see, you know, for example, one company may be known for uh, doing machining, you know, building machine parts, uh, you know, building parts for different kinds of uh, um, equipment and machinery. Well, we've seen the merging of electronics now with machinery manufacturing. So there's some unique partnerships that come about that create a much higher value in assimilating two different sorts of technology together to produce something new and different, faster and cheaper than it could have been produced before by either one.
0: Mm -hmm. And so say that your team has tried some new product and it just didn't work out, say you failed. How do you keep your team to have a positive mindset and to keep them thinking this is a learning opportunity instead of this is the end of the world?
1: A lot of it has to do with the behavior of the leader. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that we say over and over again is a key characteristic of a high-performing leader is optimism. And optimism is being able to step back and say, oh, wow, that didn't work out very well. We invested a lot of money. We lost. We're going to win next time uh and to not blame others for the failure, but to understand the cause of the failure and make sure that cause of the failure doesn't get um, uh, doesn't carry on consistently. You know, one of the problems we have, businesses are working so fast, people are so busy mm-hmm. that a failure happens, and a Band-Aid gets put on the failure, and then the same failure happens again next month, next week. Or, you know, some clients we work with have multiple locations around the world, and we learn something in Houston, for example, about a failure, and it gets repaired in Houston, but it doesn't get communicated to Dubuque or Boston or Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so the same things are happening in these other locations over and over again. And Maybe have been happening there before they happened in Houston, and had Houston known about it, they could have fixed it before it happened. Right, so, absolutely. You know, communication is a key element, I think, in creating fixes that work. Uh, so you you ask the question, you know, how do you how do you bring your team back from a failure? Mm-hmm. If you're a team that always loses, and if you look at uh, you look at baseball, mm-hmm. and uh, you look at the fact that I think it's the Cubs hadn't won a World Series. Years and years, and years and years. 107 years. years. How do you keep going on the field <laughs> mm-hmm. when you haven't won a World Series for 100 years? Well, because there's that dream
0: mm-hmm. of
1: winning the World Series. And you've got a, a manager and you've got an owner that keeps the dream alive. That's what leaders do. Leaders keep the dream alive. And uh, if they couldn't do that, the Cubs would have gone out of business and never would have won the World Series. And so you wonder from winning a World Series, Will they win more World Series now, or it will be another hundred and somewhat years? Because success begets more success, mm-hmm. but at some point we've got to realize that success also breeds arrogance. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we make a presumption that past successes will cause future successes, and don't do the hard work that's necessary to build the right team, to create the clarity, focus, to fix broken pieces. Mm -hmm. So that the whole stays whole and advances. If we don't do those things along the way, you don't get to win again just because you won before in business, in life, in sports.
0: And continuing kind of on that same track, sometimes we fail as a result of factors outside our control. Say, for example, in baseball, your pitcher gets hit with a ball and breaks his arm or breaks his leg. You can't really control that. But how can you still move forward and still learn from mistakes you've made?
1: So I think there's two things there. I I think you're right. You can't predict that, Mm -hmm. but good teams uh, who are taking something significant on do contingency planning. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the things that could go wrong? What are the things that are likely to go wrong? How are we going to deal with the likely to go wrong? What are we going to do if we have total disaster? And really build that into the planning process for something significant. Uh, And then you kind of do the Butch Cassidy thing and jump
0: <laughs> Absolutely, you
1: know, and uh, and uh, it works or it doesn't. But you know the the, the world, the country, um, some of the great things that have happened in the world. and you and you, could, you could take the interstate highway system, rural elect- electrification, um, the uh, the internet, you know, computer, uh, uh, you know, personal computers, cell phones that have more information in them than a personal computer used to, and those things were created by Mm risk-takers. They were created by dreamers that could see something that the rest of us couldn't see. And I think the future belongs to the dreamers, to those that can see things the rest of us can't see. And, you know, many people say they want to be the boss, they want to be the CEO. And in reality... Most of us don't have a world-changing dream. Mm-hmm. We may have a dream that can change our own world individually, but these big, massive Ideas. make the world better, mm-hmm. make society better, change the world in hunger, you know, in global AIDS, uh, you know, whatever it is those are done by those dreams come out of a select few people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we may all sit down and say, you know, in, in my view of the world, the things I'm concerned about are all these things. Most of us don't have the vision, the horsepower, the dreaming to focus on one thing mm-hmm. and drive it to conclusion. We have to depend on others to do that. And there's a whole lot of value in being a right-hand man or woman, someone who's an executor of somebody else's dream. That's mm-hmm. satisfying. You don't have to be the top person to do that.
0: Absolutely. And talking more at an individual level, I've heard you say before some mistakes are career-ending, but most aren't. Um, As a leader, how can you differentiate between when someone has made an honest mistake and when there's a bigger problem?
1: Honest mistakes are made by honest people Mm -hmm. and people that are trying to do their best. And a lot of the mistakes that I see made by people at lower levels are mistakes that were made because their superiors, their bosses, their supervisors didn't provide clear direction, mm-hmm. didn't provide the resources necessary to achieve what needed to be achieved, uh, didn't give the person the right support along the way, the right moral support, the right um, encouragement. Uh, the superior distracted them from the task at hand. We see that all the time. You know, the railroad's running. Things are working. Somebody has a task to do something new and unique and different. And the boss comes out and sees something wrong Mm -hmm. and throws everything up in the air. Right. And people can't stay focused on this new, different thing that they're accountable for doing. That happens on a regular basis. The new thing doesn't get done and the person has failed. And so I'm not saying failure shouldn't be owned by the person who fails. I am saying when a team member fails, there's more than just the team member it's that not, has failed.
0: Right, just that and, You know,
1: there's an old adage, and we talk about this when we do team development work, and that is we don't let a team member fail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if you see a team member's failing, we step up. We step in and help. We step up and point it out. We fight to get the resources that are necessary. We throw a lifeline to the team member that's failing too often, what happens when a team member fails is the team's like a bunch of vultures. Mm-hmm. You know, they uh, they use the the team member that has failed is dead meat, and everybody dines on the dead meat to protect themselves. Right. Uh, that's not how a high performing team operates.
0: I love the idea that team members won't let other team members fail. How can you build that culture and that positive mindset within a company?
1: It it has to start at the top, mm-hmm. and it's. Um, it's, it's an emergence from the way the senior leader leads and teams are built deliberately, not by accident. It's not uncommon that people will be on... Well, first of all, it's not uncommon that every group of people working together anywhere is now called a team. Mm -hmm. And I call BS on that. (laughs) People working together aren't necessarily what we would consider a team. They're people working together, a group of people working together. If you want to have them be a team, there's a process for making that happen. We call it the team chartering process. There are questions that have to be answered. The people that are on the team need to be involved in the process of answering those questions so that they have ownership around not just the work of the team, but ownership around the good of the team. Ownership around behaviors that are good for the business, good for the team, good for relationships between people on the team. And you don't dictate that. Mm -hmm. You can't dictate it. You can build it. And part of it is by a deliberate process Part of it is by example. The most important message is failure isn't the end of the world. You know, people survive from massive failure. People survive bankruptcy. People survive business failures. You know, people survive um, failures in their personal lives. And the big thing is to get over it, get over yourself. You know, you what happens so often is people go into a downward spiral when there's a failure, particularly if it's a public and embarrassing Mm-hmm. failure and um, we've got to get beyond that I think we have to reach out to people that care about us for help and and we need to be a person who reaches out to somebody else who has had a failure who throws a lifeline to somebody you know if you know somebody's just lost a job you know if you know somebody's going through a tough time and it's and you know reach out to them take them to lunch you know buy them a drink. Well, maybe buying a drinks is not the best idea <laughs> in some cases. But, you know, I'm just saying that people will remember forever those that reached out to them when they were having a tough time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We all have tough times. And uh, we have a tendency, particularly those of us with a Y chromosome, to put on a mask <laughs> when we have tough times and buck up. And that's what we were told to do as kids, buck up, stop crying. Mm-hmm. You know, And uh, we may do that on the surface when our insides are falling apart and so you know reach out linda lend an ear, help people on
0: thanks again for your thoughts today randy and thanks to all of you out there listening to our show if you liked this episode be sure to subscribe to our podcast share it on social media and tell your friends about it if you're interested in bringing the professional outsider to your workplace learn more at ww.route2results.com.